0: I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetters. Day 14 of spring football, one practice to go on Saturday. Gates uh, will probably open, I'm guessing, around 1030. The event will... Uh, start about 11:30. it will not be a game they just don't have enough players to uh, participate in an actual game it'll be a practice so I'm sure they'll have some seven on seven a little bit of scrimmaging but uh, there's not going to show a whole lot we uh, you know they haven't shown us a whole lot I've, I don't think I've seen one tackle you know so far this spring but
1: uh, we saw it but we didn't we weren't supposed to I think yeah. there was about five plays where we got to see a little bit of tackling
0: yeah we got practice we, you know we had some former players here uh, some interesting comments uh, with the uh, Post play, post practice interview with players. NFL draft tonight with uh, a couple players possibly drafted tonight. One for sure, and then a nice commitment for University of Washington um, on a basketball team. But so, first of all, practice today. It was short, it was light, and not a lot going on.
1: Yeah, it basically kind of resembled what I think they would do in a run through, like on a Friday of of a game week. You know, light bulbs, shorts you know a lot of special teams early we didn't see any 11 on 11 stuff we got to see a little bit of what how they line up like on kick cover so we got to see like uh Devon Banks and um uh, Dyson McCutcheon play at the Gunners. We got to see. I think Jalen Polk was one of the Gunners on the on the twos with Elijah Jackson. So we got to see some some little player personnel uh, for the people that have been asking about Jalen McMillan, wondering kind of what's going on with him. You know, he was back there catching some punts with Giles Jackson. So there was there were some things going on, and then they you know by the time we went uh, inside for the rest of practice, they started to kind of break down into their individual periods kind of like they would normally. But I think that had to do also with kind of the way that they would try to warm up before a game. You know, some of the same types of little quick drills, just trying to get warmed up, trying to get loose. Um, So there really, really wasn't a ton to talk about today. Um, If anything, probably the biggest thing that came out today was some of the former players that were there, like Dana Hall was there, Shane Palcoa was there, um, Hugh Millen was there, Coach DeBoer had uh, some of the guys talk to the team afterwards, We got a chance to see that. Looked like it was, um, you know, obviously the reception was great for those guys, Um, you know, especially seeing a guy like Dana Hall, I think, if I remember correctly, I thought I saw DeBoer kind of hold up uh, Dana Hall's hand, was like here, you know, look at the ring, you know, it's like this is what you guys want, and so um, just some of the stuff that, uh, that was going on there looked kind of cool. Um, but really, ultimately, the practice itself, you know, for being the day before or the, the practice before spring preview, really nothing to talk about in terms of nuts and bolts.
0: No, it was interesting seeing Dana because every time I see him, I say, he was a corner. Because he's a big yeah. dude. He's, no, big he dude. Was, he's a big dude. I was talking
1: to, to Dan really about it, and he was like, you know, you want to talk about a guy, a prototypical guy that's, that was well ahead of his time. You know, it's kinda of like thinking about the days of like when Vernon Davis was like a tight end and no one had ever seen a guy like Vernon Davis before. You know, I don't think a lot of people had seen a corner that was six three and could run and was athletic like Dana Hall was. I mean he really was a a different kind of guy. Yeah, no,
0: it was great to see him here. And then uh, Hugh Millen back in town, obviously had some things to do for KJR Radio with yesterday's with the mock draft. But Hugh had, Hugh's uh, sold his place uh, up in Issaquah or Snoqualmie, whatever you want to call it up there, and uh, bought a place down in Scottsdale. So I haven't seen much of Hugh, haven't been able to talk to him. So it was good to talk to Hugh. Don't blame
1: him, man. It's been blustering cold cold in April.
0: (laughs) He reminded me I owe him a dinner, so we'll have to take Hugh up on that shortly. So he'll order the biggest steak about that.
1: Why do you owe him a dinner?
0: I, I can't even remember. I can't even remember. Okay. It was something. Yeah. It was something. It was something stupid. All right. Where, you know... Everyone he,
1: seems to have short memories today because I asked Henry Benavali about the speakers today, and he couldn't even remember who they were, which I thought was, <coughs> that wasn't was great. But but he's got a lot on his mind. For If anybody was paying attention to what was going on with him lately, he was uh, involved in a, in a situation where he wasn't in the accident per se, yeah. but he witnessed an accident with one of the Sounders reporters... And um, the long story, the short of it, is that they got back together via social networking because the, the guy, Henry and the, and the friend he was with were able to help identify the hit-and-run driver that was involved in the accident that hit the Sounders reporter, and now the Sounders reporter is going to get him some tickets for the Champions League uh, game next week in Seattle, um, which... And, and Henry was talking about how, how excited he is. He's never been to a Sounders game before and he's all jacked up for it. So, really interesting story with Henry. But I asked him about some of the, you know, just having some of the guys come back and he talked about how he wants to be a part of that Went down the road. He wants to, he talked about, you know, leaving Washington in a better place than he found it and, and help, you know, kind of take that legacy along and then I asked him who the guys were and he was like man I totally forgot
0: (laughs) so (laughs) take it for what it's worth yeah you know we talked to Scott Huff um, uh, after the um, after the practice and somebody asked him about Henry because Henry you know, he didn't have a great year, but he was fighting through injuries all last year. He played hurt. Well, and I think that was part of
1: the reason why people were so
0: surprised he came back. Yeah. because a lot of people thought that maybe he was on his way towards
1: like a medical retirement or something like that, or just you know, just moving on to the next chapter of his life. You know, got his degree, doing that kind of thing. But the fact that he really, really wants this badly, and you can tell, um, even though he has not got, he's not really featured a lot with the ones this spring because I think they're trying to really kind of keep kid gloves on him and try to ease him along to make sure that he's fully ready for the fall, um, he's still gotten a ton of work in, and I think he's he's got to be pleased. He's got to be pleased where he's at, because I think six months ago, I'm not sure he would have really understood or really knew where he was going to be, you know, as of right now. The fact that he's been practicing, the fact that he looks pretty healthy, um, I think those are all great signs.
0: Yeah, because everything I heard, he was in a lot of pain last year. Yeah. 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 Uh, interesting, talking to Coach Huff, you know we've been doing this a long time, Chris, I have never seen a coach squirm as much as Scott Huff was squirming when we were asking him about Jackson Kirkland. He was squirming? Well, he, he I kind of
1: got him to squirm a little bit on Luke Wattenberg because I, I, I wanted to get a video out for Luke because of the draft and all this stuff coming up because the draft starts today. And uh, he was talking about Luke and he talked about his play in the East West Shrine game. And he said, Yeah, all the feedback I got was that he was the best lineman there. And he goes, Oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to say that. And so we got him, we already kind of got him off balance just a little bit. And then when you guys asked him about Kirkland, he kind of went a little tilt.
0: It was kind of like a little bit of Chris Peterson where Chris would start talking and then. He'd stop all of a sudden. Am I
1: supposed to be saying these things? And then he goes, go,
0: yeah, we got Scott a couple of times. He was just not comfortable at all talking about Jackson Kirkland.
1: Well, and he, and he had been talking to some family members and some stuff before he came and talked to us. So clearly he, he he was already kind of in the chatty mindset. Yeah. So I think he just kind of kept going in the chatty mindset and kind of, oh, that's right, I'm in front of the media now. I'm not, I'm not talking to a parent. I'm not talking to a friend. Uh, you know, so I probably should figure out if what I'm saying is something I should be saying.
0: Well, he looked over at Jeff Bechtel, the SID, and said, can I talk about that? Yeah. And after he already did, so it was pretty funny. And he didn't really tell us anything. No. He really didn't. And, and that's the bottom line. Bottom line is
1: anyone who wants to know about Jackson Kirkland right now, Tell the coaches because the coaches don't know. All they know is that the, the waiver is in progress. The NCAA is doing whatever they do, and, and well, I guess we'll figure it out eventually. I, I just have a feeling one of these days it's going to be a tweet out from the, the Washington football official Twitter account saying Jackson Kirkland's back on the team. You know, I think it's going to be something probably that simple.
0: I can't remember what the deal was, but it was something that was in the NCAA hands about a certain player, and they had, a, you know, they said it'll happen before June because the people in the NCAA office who do all those things pretty much take the entire month of. June off. It could, yeah, do you remember I'd, that at I'd all? I don't
1: surprise them. I mean, you know, back in the day at least, everybody in football took June or July off. After after their camps, whenever they wanted to do their camps, right after that, they would usually take almost like a full month off after that. And so that it does, it, that really has changed in the last five to ten years because now it's become a, a 24-7 365 thing, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of coaches starting to burn out a little bit and, and see that kind of thing. But yeah, I doesn't surprise me at all because summer and, and football usually is it's it's when everyone kind of gets their break and recharges their batteries before they get ready for the fall.
0: Yeah, I had a chance to talk to Coach Grubb after practice. Kind of funny, he walked by and tried to get away without talking to us. I think he just had a brain fart, but uh, he came back out and talked to us quite a bit. And he broke down each one of the quarterbacks. Of course, he's not going to give any indication of who's ahead, but uh, you know, I mean, from his comments, sounds like he's pretty been pretty impressed with Dylan Morris.
1: He has been, and I think he he also kind of underscored the the understanding that he knows how difficult it's been for, for Morris and, and Sam Heward to to kind of relearn you know, re you know, learn this system and having it be like the second or third system that they've already had to go through at Washington. Whereas with Penix, you know, because he really had the system with the boar and that was kind of the system that he really knew. Um, clearly that was a huge thing for him and, and one of the big reasons why he came to Washington. So he understood that kind of the pitfalls and whatnot, but I he did say a lot of great things about Morris. He he really was pleased with, with the way he's attacked spring. And um, I think he's genuinely pleased with the idea that even though it sounds like Penix is probably a little bit ahead, at least we think he is, that the battle will really be joined in the fall. And I don't think any one of those three guys feels like they're really out of it. Because as we've seen, we've seen in the past, you know, we saw it with. Uh, Cars, um, Colson Yankoff, and Jacob Sermon. That when uh, guys get, you know, when Eason was, was named the, the starter or what have you, now all of a sudden guys go in the portal. You know, with we've talked about this in the last couple podcasts, Kim, where you've got spring game coming up this Saturday, and then the deadline for the portals the very, very next day. You could see guys even move, um, you know, starting right about now. We've already seen a couple of the walk ons announce that they're in the portal. So, you know, there's going to be so much movement there. I think with the with the quarterbacks, you don't have to worry about that right now. But with other positions, I think that's something that we that that people need to focus on and kind of and really come to grips with because. Right now, you see the two things: you see the NIL and you see the portal. And I just see fans just like yeah. it's like it's like swimming in their heads, and they literally don't know how to grasp it and how to put their hands on it because it just it's such an elusive they're elusive topics that that there's so much going on under the surface. That it's hard to really explain or kind of understand all the nuances that are going on.
0: Yeah, I was talking to, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I was talking to um, Grub about last year when I was playing golf with the foursome, and three of the guys I was playing with were left handers. And it just always seemed like on every shot they made, I was standing in the wrong place. You yeah. know, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I was talking to him, you know, it's just, you know, when you got those two left handers, do you ever find yourself standing in the wrong place because you're so used to the right handed quarterbacks?
1: Yeah, well, and that's part of the reason why we've also. Ask guys like Coach Huff and, and some of these tackles about you know how much are they gonna want to play on the right side, how much are they gonna wanna play on the left side, how much are the coordinators anticipating a left handed quarterback in there so that the right tackle would be the one that would actually be protecting the blind side. Um, so there's so there's a lot of dynamics that go on with that. There's no doubt about it. And that's you know, it, it'll be very, very interesting to see. Let's say it let's put up a scenario, and again, this is me hypoth- you know, this is a hypothetical Let's say Penix is the starting quarterback, but then if he gets if if the second string guy has to come in, let's say it's Dylan Morris, does all of a sudden do you bring in a different left tackle? Do you bring in a different yeah. right tackle? Do you bring in different guys to work with different players because the, you know they kind of maybe inherently understand how the pocket presence is of a certain quarterback over another guy, and the difference between putting a left handed in there as opposed to a right handed guy in there. I mean, it, it's, it, you literally, I'm not saying they change everything like it's night and day, but I think that there are certain mechanics and there are certain details of the schemes that they would have to run that I think they'd have to put serious thought into in terms of trying to make sure that they have the best 11 guys out
0: there. Also, talked to Coach Huff. He had some interesting things to say. I asked him about Parker Brayles for, you know, and, uh, Parker should still be in high school. And Coach Huff said, you know, if you remember back to your, your senior year in high school and then imagine. Coming into a situation like this, he said that, you know, Parker was 260 pounds. But he said that, you know, the thing that makes Parker kind of unique is he's benching um, 100 pounds over his weight. You know, so if you're benching 100 pounds over your weight, you're doing pretty well, especially for a kid that young. Well,
1: so what does that mean? 360, 370?
0: Yeah, 360. Yeah. yeah you know as a high school kid so that's pretty good so uh talked to him a little bit about that in the comparisons to Nick Harris and you know he ended his conversation hey if he's another Nick Harris I'll take that all day long oh, so yeah
1: no that was, that was the that was Chris Strasser's gift to, to Scott Huff yeah that was a gift they kept on giving for yeah, sure
0: yeah no kidding so um you know uh had a chance to also talk to a couple of the players as well as Coach Gruff about a thing, and I don't know if we've r- ever really talked about Fumble Island. Have we talked much about Did, Fumble Island? No, you said
1: Gruff, so were you talking about Grub, Hub, a Grub, or grub, Huff?
0: We talked to Grub about Fumble. You kind of, Island. You kind of mixed them, yeah. With that well, gruff. That's rough there. That's what I do. We talked to <laughs> Grub and Penix and Sam about Fumble Island. So, and what Fumble Island is is you start at one side of the field and you take two footballs and you clutch them against your chest, and you have to go across the field and back on your elbows and your toes. Um, it's it's grueling. We've seen guys really struggle doing that. But, you know, it was interesting. Coach Grubb said it's not really a, um, a form of punishment. It's just a reinforcement. And I asked him if it was effective, and he said yes, uh, absolutely. And when I talked to, um, you know, uh, Penix and Sam, you know, they say the minute – you know you fumble a snap or you drop a ball the, it's the first thing that goes through your head is fumble island and we've seen plenty of guys out there doing it
1: yeah and, and every staff in existence is had a form of something like that we've seen bear crawls and stuff like that for you know all sorts of things that have happened whether you know usually when we would see it post-practice if we were still out there a lot of times we'd assume it was because they missed a, they missed a class or they were late for a meeting yeah. or something like this so i've you know, but this is but we know this is obviously very specific to what's happening on the field.
0: Yeah, it's it's fumbles, and you know he talked about you know the drops isn't fumble island. You know, for the wide receivers, it's you know so many reps on the jug machine after practice. And
1: I still I still haven't gotten quite used to the to the fact that there's been no turnover horn because with Peterson and Lake, every time there was a pick, every time there was something that they would have deemed a change of possession or turnover, you'd hear that horn, that fog horn going. And we haven't heard any of that.
0: You know, I don't know how much of that was Jimmy, but Jimmy really emphasized turnovers. And re- I mean, you know, with the best hands in the room, and you know, uh, you know, and they may be doing that. We just don't see it.
1: Well, and also Grubb did mention. I, I remember seeing this when when you guys were talking to him that the offense actually won. Apparently, they have a turnover battle or a turnover thing that they competition that they have between the offense and the defense. And apparently, the offense won it. So as as a Washington fan, you've got to be pleased. Because that means the offense isn't turning the ball over. Now, the defensive fans are going to say, well, we want to see the defense get the ball back, obviously. But if you're going to take, if you know you have one or the other, either the offense is holding on to the ball better or the defense is taking more pick or or taking more turnovers, which would you rather have, ideally? Probably would rather have the offense hold on to the ball, I would think, at least in my
0: mind. Yeah, so just, you know, heads up, you know, we had a chance to talk to Henry Bainavalu. Uh, Sam Heward, Michael Penix, Coach Grubb, and Coach Huff today. So good stuff from all those guys. Yeah, no, for sure. NFL draft tonight. It looks like it's pretty obvious that Trent McDuffie is going to go in the first round, uh, you know, probably in the teens. You know, some people have him uh, mocked in the top 10. You know, it only takes one team to love you. But, you know, when you take a look at what a clean player Trent McDuffie is, where he, I don't think he's outstanding at any one thing, but he's just very, very good at everything that he does. And the other thing is, he's a guy that, you know, you can kind of pencil in as a 10-year ten year player, and you're never, ever, ever going to have an issue off the field with Trent McDuffie.
1: Yeah, well, lo- looking at the mock drafts when I was putting the, the updates together this early this week, I saw him going maybe as high as Minnesota at 12, and as low as, like, 25 to I Buffalo.
0: Him, I think I saw him at 8 somewhere. Maybe.
1: Maybe that would have been 1, but I, typically I saw the range between, like, 12 and 25, Um the interesting – and there's no doubt. When you say he's a clean player, Kim, you're absolutely right. Probably the cleanest corner in the entire – because you've got the Sauce Gardeners and you've got the Derek Stingleys and you've got these guys that are maybe physically more imposing because you know McDuffie's not the biggest guy in the world. They might have more upside physically, but you won't find a smarter, more instinctual cornerback that's pro-ready than Trey McDuffie. So if you need a guy to come in and just fill in right away and, and, and compete for that starting job right away – because that's what you expect out of first-round ra- round draft picks, right? They have to come in and compete right away for a starting job, typically. You won't find a better guy than Trent McDuffie. What, I, what I'm going to f- really focus on tonight, when I'm watching it, is to see whether or not Kyler Gordon might actually slip in ahead of Trent McDuffie. And the only reason I'm wondering about this is, is that ever since we found out that Kyler Gordon got a green room, green room invite to Vegas... It's made me wonder if there's something going on there that the NFL knows about that maybe the rest of us are either taking for granted or are just kind of passing by and not really paying that much attention to. Because I think typically when those guys get invited to that kind of
0: situation right behind the draft and what's going on, usually something's up. What's interesting about McDuffie and Kyler Gordon is, you know, Trent's not the biggest guy out there, and Trent McD- and Kyler Gordon, of course, having the background in dance, and you would th- figure that they would be finesse type corners. Neither one of those guys is a finesse corner. They will, they will lower their shoulder, they will lower their helmet, and they will absolutely light you up.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, some of the best plays I saw, you know, obviously Gordon. I think I think Gordon. I would say Gordon is more a physical guy because he's a little bigger. But I will still say some of the best plays I ever saw with McDuffie were just the way he tracked and he was able to go sideline to sideline and get guys behind the line of scrimmage and really just he understood everything that was going on like back of his hand. That he could scheme those things out, he could do chalk talks, he could do all that kind of stuff. So they they kind of do things in slightly different ways, but they're still so valuable. And I think ultimately I wonder how much the pro teams are going to be looking at McDuffie and Gordon kind of like the way they viewed guys like Elijah Molden earlier or even like a Miles Bryant. Because the thing about McDuffie is they'll say size is an issue, but they'll also say he's so versatile, position versatile, he could be a corner, but he could also play in the slot. He could also be a nickel guy very easily. And so that that kind of versatility I think is very coveted. But by the same token... A lot of GMs will maybe have in their head like, "Do we want to spend a top ten or top fifteen round pick on a or a top fifteen overall pick on
0: a nickel?" You know, it's it's just well, you take a guy like Stingley where you talk about his upside, but he's hurt all the time. Right. Well, no, trust me. Like I said,
1: I don't think there's maybe a more pro ready guy unless you really unless a guy like Soft Gardner just with his outwardness and his just his the way he carries himself. And the way he just—you just think that he's going to make the play no matter what—and he was basically no one could make a play against him. But you look at the same stats for McDuffie; he's—he's he's not that far behind, if—if if at all. He
0: just did it in a little different way. And he's been relatively healthy. I don't know if you remember. I think he's been injured once. Do you remember when he got injured? I don't remember returning punts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He won't be asked to return punts in the NFL. I don't think. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Unless he's not. Unless he's you know second team corner, and not not cracking the starting lineup. But you know, all the indications are from what we've seen of Trent. You know, uh, he'll be a starting corner. So I,
1: I just think it's. I Kim, I'm just excited because I really do think, and I maybe just, I maybe just out there on an island by myself. But I really truly think that there's a great chance that both Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon get drafted tonight. I really do.
0: Yeah, you know, it's just kind of, you know, he didn't run as fast at the Combine. You know, Kyler didn't run as fast at the Combine as a lot of people thought, but uh, don't let that fool you. That's an incredibly athletic kid, and they bring those kids in from workouts, and they have football speed, and then they see the um, athleticism and the uh, on Kyler Gordon I saw uh, a little bit of a cut up and they were showing his what they call bendability you know how he's able to contort his body in different ways but Kyler Gordon's a freak athlete I well, don't care four five two or yeah. not he's a freak tape, athlete. tape
1: doesn't lie Kim tape doesn't lie and he's got plenty of it yeah and it's and it's clean it's it's clean just like just like Trent McDuffie's just like Trent McDuffie's he's it, he's just a guy that came along maybe just a tad slower. He wasn't expected to be, like, the guy coming right off the bat. But yet, if you watch some of the off-field stuff where he's at Ford Sports and he's doing, like, 60-inch box jumps and stuff like that, I mean, it's the athleticism pops off the page. I'm sorry. and We can go all the way back to Don James when they made that switch in the late 80s to really recruit a lot of speed, and he was talking about how vertical jump can be a really great indicator of how consistent a kid's speed would be. When you see a guy make a box jump like that, like a standing box jump, you're like – Okay, whatever he's running, it's legit. I mean, it's flat out
0: legit. So, if you're a GM, you need a corner. You know, you're going to take McDuffie or Gordon. Well, that's
1: the thing. Again, you know, even going back to what we talked about with Scott Huff and, and Luke Wattenberg, it's all about fit. It always comes down to fit. Are they going to look for just a straight island corner? Do they want a boundary corner? Do they want a corner in the open field? Do they, are they looking for a guy with position versatility? Do they need to have a guy that could play corner or a slot at a, at a moment's notice? Do they need to have a guy like that? And ultimately, I think it just comes down to what, they, what, they have, what they've
0: prioritized and what they need. I just want to touch on this, and I don't want to dive deep because it makes my head explode. Well, just because it, it makes your head
1: explode doesn't mean we can't talk about it. Well, we're not going to go on and on and on. If I need to finish this podcast by myself with your I might head you, on the floor,
0: I'd... I might let you. Okay, it's going to be a busy couple of days. Come between, I think tomorrow is going to be a busy day, and uh, with the transfer portal. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Um, expecting a lot of movement in there. We'll see how many uh, players from Washington, you know, do indeed enter that portal, but. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a lot, but I don't think it's going to be none.
1: Well, let's put it this way. Scott Scott and I talked about and this. Just
0: why it's going to be busy. May 1st is the last day that you can enter the portal and be eligible to play in fall sports. Correct.
1: And, and, and of course, this butts up against the fact that Washington's spring preview is literally the day before. And,
0: and just real quick, it's not. It's a different date for basketball. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't impact basketball.
1: Right. But, but as far as football is going, which is what we're talking about right now, um, any Washington player that has had thoughts about maybe looking somewhere else or what have you, you know that they've already been doing a lot of, of diligence in, in terms of trying to get the information they need to make the, in, to make the decision that they need to make. And we've already seen a couple of the walk-on players make decisions to go in the portal like Becky Bay, um, Casey Kinchin. Wouldn't surprise me if we see guys go in the portal even as early as today, tomorrow, um, I don't think they'll wait till Saturday. I mean, it was there was a point that was brought up on the message boards, and I think it's 100 percent correct that if if there are guys out there that are thinking about the portal, I don't think spring game is going to help them. There's that, they're certainly not probably they're not going to get featured. So there's really no reason to wait if you're going to do it. The only thing I would add on to this real, cam, uh, real quick, Kim, before you know, if we want to talk a little bit more about this, that's fine. I've only heard like one name that I think would truly surprise people. Other than that, I don't really I I may be as in the dark about it as everyone else. But I've only really only heard one name that that I think people if, if if it comes out and he does actually go in the portal, people would be like, Wow, yeah, I didn't see that coming. But other than that, I I'm not really in tune with this whole quote-unquote mass exodus thing because it's it's been talked about on USC and UCLA's board but they were doing more as hypotheticals or guys talking about guys who know guys who know guys don't put any stock into that That, that's, that's just that's just message board talk don't don't fall for it wait until you see it actually happen I think the reality is there could be two or three guys wouldn't surprise me but again, I think this is just one of those things like with NIL and pay for play and all these other concepts that are being floating around in the ether of the last couple of years. These are just concepts that fans are really just going to have to kind of come to grips with and try to understand as best they can and really roll with them because they really it's really created almost kind of a pseudo free agency. And that's the problem, and it's it's changed. It's kind of fundamentally starting to change the game in a way that I don't think fans ever really expected they thought they'd see because that's the pro game. That's, that's not the college game, but it's starting to become the college game. Yeah,
0: without getting dumping into the uh, philosophy, but the thing to remember about the portal right now is, uh, you know, if you're going to enter the portal, you're not going to be able to enroll into another school till like June, and you're not going to be involved in practices until the fall camp. Right. And you're going to go to another school – and you know you're going to try to win a job. You know, just coming in late like that—that's right. that's that's a big ask, right?
1: And 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 I don't want to dump too far into the basketball stuff, but just to use Frank Kepnang his symbol as an example of that. He's still at Oregon. He he's not going to finish out. They don't they don't finish their final exams and all that stuff till like early June. Yeah. And so it's like this, and they're on the same systems. So that's why I wanted to use his as an example. I don't want to jump into the basketball thing yet. But the bottom line is school is absolutely a big part of this mm-hmm. and on top of the deadline to make sure that you're eligible to play for the fall which is May 1st. So again, I think there is talk that people could leave and stuff, but I honestly believe that if we would have seen this quote-unquote mass exodus, I think we've already seen a lot of names
0: because there's just not a lot of time. There's, there's, not. there's not. Yeah, jumping into basketball, there's three things to talk about. Uh, 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 first of all, with Emmett Matthews going into the transfer portal, I think it not only surprised us; it surprised a lot of people. And uh, some people very close to him weren't even aware of it. So, uh, a little bit su- surprised when you saw that. Well, pretty much because I, I, I've always been of the opinion that as soon as the season
1: was over, he was going to be one of the ringleaders to really bring everyone together yeah, for next year. He was going to embody the leadership role that was done with Terrell Brown, Dejon Davis, the guys that are leaving. And so he was going to pick up that mantle, and he was going to run with it. And he, was, and he, and he always kind of talked that talk. That's You know, you listen to him post-game and things like that. There was absolutely nothing that would lead you to believe that he was looking somewhere else. So, of course, you know, having done this for a while and kind of putting the pieces together, you have to think someone's in his ear. You have to think someone's talking oh, yeah. to him about something. But what they're talking about, who
0: knows? It could be anything. Well, the question I don't know the answer to, he's already transferred once. Yeah. I mean, can he transfer again?
1: You could always apply for a waiver, I suppose.
0: Yeah. But how how successful would that waiver be? I don't know. You know, they seem to be granting him right and left, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, and everybody's wondering what's going on in Emmett, you know, and you just never know the whole thing. I know that one of the things that has been brought up that's absolutely true is that when he transferred here from West Virginia, that a lot of his college credits did not transfer into University of Washington. So, you know, that's one of the things I've heard. I've also um, heard that, you know, there's a good chance that he could return, and it's just going to have to be one of those things where it's just going to have to play out a little bit.
1: I would also say, too, that it's just, first of all, the credits thing is just weird. I don't understand why credits don't and don't do and don't transfer. But the fact is, he's still been here a whole season. It's like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't you know kind of what, this, what the lay of the land would be as far as your credits and stuff? Because you want to find a place that you graduate. And if you didn't know, if, if you weren't sure that your credits were going to transfer, why would you even look to come back at Washington in the first place? That would be the question I'd be asking.
0: I mean, just from everything I've heard, and we've been doing this long enough, Chris, we're starting to see where... It is tenfold what it was a few years ago. With these college athletes, the number of people that are in their ears trying to get a piece of them and just all the people in their camp, I just have to believe that somebody's in Emmett Matthews' ear. For sure. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah. Um, big pickup for University of Washington yesterday, uh, Frank Kepning, uh, the center from Oregon, 6'11", 250 pounds. Um, he announced yesterday that he was 100% committed to University of Washington. He was in for a visit uh, over the weekend. From my understanding, he signed papers when he was here on his visit. And, and
1: Washington has confirmed he signed.
0: Yeah. Oh, have they? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, and then uh, he actually committed, from my understanding, a couple of weeks ago, and... Um, I think this is a huge get for University of Washington on a number of different fronts that you may not be aware of. But first of all, I mean, he's a rim protector, and they haven't had that guy for a while. Who was the
1: last guy? Maybe Aziz. Yeah. I, mean, I don't. I mean, there might be some other guys that I'm not really thinking of, but
0: Riley for a couple of games, well, for, short for sure. spurts, but yeah. no, Aziz or Malik Dime. Yeah. I yeah. mean So, but that's the kind of player you're talking about.
1: But he's. He's, he's more like Aziz. I mean, he's, he's bigger than Malik. Yeah. I mean, thicker than Malik. I mean, he's legitimate 250 from what I've seen. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's going to be brought in primarily to be that, to be that enforcer inside.
0: Yeah, you know, it doesn't have a lot of offensive game, but that's where it's going to be interesting with Wyking Jones. You know, um, he made big steps with Nate Roberts in a year, so we'll see what um, Wyking Jones can do with uh, Frank Kepning. But uh, the thing that, you know, from you know, the people I've been talking to, just having that rim protector out there, and then you have a guy like Noah Williams out front and P.J. Fuller, and, you know, both those guys are really good defensively. So when you take a look at what um, – Dejon Davis was able to do at the top of the zone and Matisse Thibel getting in those passing lanes. Well, now they have a big back there and you can take a few more gambles and a few more risks out front because you have that rim protector in back. Yeah, and then also to, to, to circle back a, just slightly
1: to Emmett Matthews, because you've got a, a true rim protector and a true guy in the middle, a true five, you, you don't have to bring in a guy like Emmett Matthews sometimes if you go small and have him be your big. Because even if you want to go small now you could, you could still have a guy like Langston Wilson be your five if you wanted to because you can run, you can still be versatile, you can do things, and depending on how Jackson Grant evolves in his development, he could be your five if you want to go a little smaller. So they have a lot of options there, but you can really, you know, assuming that that Emmett Matthews does come back, now you've, you've really put him on the wing where he needs to be. He's got the length and athleticism. They can trap into corners. They can do a lot of things defensively with him, and they don't have to really – Move him around defensively a lot because they're going to have some pieces where other guys can play where he would have had to play last year to fill space um, and and to and to kind of make up the numbers the way that hop would have needed him to
0: Frank is not a slow footed guy for as big as he is um, he's a pretty athletic guy um, yeah. and you know the words that uh, have been used to describe him is he's an absolute animal on the defensive end. He's tough. He's hard nosed. He's aggressive. So he's a guy that you know I'm really looking forward to seeing.
1: And the biggest upside to me, Kim, at least in my opinion, is that you got him for for three years if you want him. Yeah. I mean, he's got four years really to, to play three years of eligibility because of the COVID year. But the fact is is that you know maybe he's only here a couple years. But if he's only here a couple years, then that means you have got two pretty good years out of him, hopefully. But you. But the part of the thing that I think Hopkins has talked about with regard to the portal. And in and, and, and recruiting, as much as he can talk about it, is that you just you can't get the, just the one-and-done guys constantly. You can't churn over the grad guys. You just can't do a one and done all the time. Yeah. You've got to get the guys that,
0: that you can build programs around that are going to be here three, four years. And he can be one of those guys. You listened to him. You had a chance to listen to the conversation I had with him. He's yeah. a bright guy. He is a bright guy, and it's interesting. He does really have a lot of ambition outside of
1: basketball. Um it was interesting listening to him talk about his kind of fascination and passion with um, with robotics, and how he literally wants to be a robotic engineer out of uh, out of college or, or whatever he does after basketball's over. Which again. I don't want to dump on Oregon too much, but does Oregon have, like, some major robotic engineering program that I'm unaware of?
0: Well, Washington, I mean, he's majoring in computer science, and Washington's got one of the best computer science schools in the country.
1: Yeah, Uh, and again, I don't know how that competes with Oregon or not. I have no idea.
0: No, I was just really impressed talking to him. He was uh, a really bright kid, and on his commitment video, catching the fish, and, you know, I got on him, don't lie. One take and yeah, yeah, it's just one take, first what? time.
1: Frank the fisherman, going, instead of Frank the tank, it's Frank the fisherman.
0: <laughs> Frank, but, the, Frank the vessel. But how cool! But how cool
1: is that? How many times have you ever seen a recruit go out and catch a fish like that? I'd never seen it. Never. That was pretty. I thought that was pretty ingenious. Yeah, frankly,
0: And everything I heard, he just loved it up here, and it wasn't just basketball. But and I, I don't know if you um, picked up on this, but you know, I asked him the main coach to recruit him, and he said there wasn't a all main coach; it was all of them. Yeah. It was all of them, you know, and I know Coach Conroy was after him, and I know Quincy, and it's kind of unique because all of those, uh, you know, three assistant coaches, all four of those guys have a different uh, strength and they're all unique personalities.
1: And I think it's the personal touch, and, it, and I think it gave Kept Dang, at least from what I could gather listening to him, I think that gave him a sense of family and community that, that resonated with him and made, and, and made an impact. I think that really did help him because I think that was like he saw – you know, from when you ask him, like, why Washington? He goes, well, it's because I believe in the plan. And you can tell what the plan is. The plan is basically all those coaches, whether you're talking about Viking with the big aspect, Will with the handles, um, you know, Coach Pondexter doing some other things, he, he sees that he can get better if he takes the best parts out of all of those coaches and, and, and can kind of just pick their brains and use their expertise to to make him a, a more overall, more well rounded player. He talked about it. He's like, that's a plan I can believe in. And it he spelled it out pretty, 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 um, pretty broadly in terms of, of the things that they were talking about. And I thought it was I thought it was
0: pretty illuminating. Well, you know, just guys don't go in the portal and they just decide one day. These things are talked about well in advance. And we'd heard Kepning's name, you know, early in the season, and the reason that he was, you know, we we were anticipating him coming in the portal for quite some time, but he didn't believe in the way that Oregon was using him, you know. And so Washington has a different plan for him, and I think that I think the plan, the way they're using him. But I still think that the computer science school just rocked his world and really intrigued him. I
1: think him. the balance. I think the balance of of, of basketball and, and academics was appealing, and of course the way that they think they can use him is appealing. But I think just as importantly on the basketball piece, Kim. He knows he can play right away. They've got an instant spot for him. Yeah, he can be that. He can be Nate Roberts. He literally can slide right in because Washington right now doesn't have that guy.
0: And or- they don't have anyone close to him. And Oregon's got a guy, and they're bringing in another guy. Yeah. So it just, I
1: think guy. it could be, I think it could be a win-win situation. I think Oregon, obviously, they they moved on and gotten some other guys. They expect to be better. Washington, obviously you know, brings him, uh, kept in, expecting that they, they can be as good or better than they were with, with Nate Roberts, which I think is, it's going to take a little doing because Nate had some, some really good, good experiences watching him playing wise. I thought he he did some really nice things, especially at the end, which was, I think part of the reason why I think some were shocked that he decided to, to move on. But you know, this, this is how it works. Sometimes, you know, kids are at the end of the chapter and they've got to move on, and that's and, and you wish them well, and and off they go. But I think with Kepnang, if they wanted to try to find a guy that that could be as close to a Nate Roberts type guy inside, I think they've done a pretty good job here.
0: Yeah, really interested to see what you know, Whiting Jones can do with him and see how much different he can be here at Washington in the system that Washington is running as opposed to what Oregon did. So um, it'll be interesting to uh, follow Frank Kepnang. And, you know, one of the other reasons Kepnang is such a big get for Washington is the impact that he could have on getting another player. You know, Washington has been hard after um, uh, Fardas and AMAC from Utah Valley State to the 6'11", uh, 250, 260, about the same size as Kepnang, But um, he's more of a four than a five. He's more of a power forward where some of the other schools wanted, um, you know, uh, Fardoz to come in and, you know, uh, clamp down the middle. And it sounds like he's more interested in playing the four. And with Kepning in the fold, that's going to allow him, if he does indeed come to Washington, you know, they're not just going to say that he can play the four. He's going to be able to play the four with Frank uh, in the middle because Frank is a true true center.
1: Right, and I think this is one of those cases where they signed Frank Kepnang for, the, for initially for the defensive responsibility, but also what he can do offensively can help free up a guy like a Ford to just basically go out and create and be his guy because Washington saw Ford Azamak up close and personal right here at Heck Ed and saw him do the damage that, that he did and saw him as a obviously a guy that can make a difference on both ends of the court, but primarily he would be brought in because they need to pick up the scoring that they lost with Terrell Brown. They just need to find a, a different way of doing it. But, yes, if they can get, you know, um, if they can have Kevin Nang be that true five where he just posts up and he just kind of eats space and takes up a guy or two, that can really free up a guy like Farras to really, you know, play inside out, outside in, Shoot the three, drive,
0: um, create. He could do so many different things, and we saw it in person. Take, he's taking a visit this week to Texas Tech, and from my understanding, you know, with what Texas Tech has lost, they want to use him as a five. So we'll keep on top of it, and you know, hopefully, in the next couple weeks, we'll get that figured out with Fardos. And he's also waiting on NBA evaluations well, to come back. as and, well. And
1: this is a piece that we shouldn't underestimate, too, Kim, because he actually took, you know, he tested the waters last year. So the the NBA piece is something he is seriously considering, because he's he's seriously considered it before. I'm not saying his circumstances have changed so much, but if you just go back and look at the history of what he's about, jumping to the NBA is something that has always been on his mind.
0: Well, what's interesting is that I, I don't have anything to back this up, but just kind of reading between the lines and the conversations that I've had with people. My gut tells me his NBA future is not as a center or a five. It's as a power forward and playing a four. Right. And I'm guessing that, you know, it's just, you know, reading between the lines, you know, and figuring things out, that he's hearing go back to school, play the four, you know, because he wasn't able to do that at Utah Valley State. And some of the other schools that are recruiting him, he wouldn't be able to do that. He would be able to do that at Washington.
1: Right. And I think that's more important because he'd actually be able to go out and create and that's and, and, and having that piece where he could play akin to what a power forward would be like in the NBA where he can drive dish shoot the three you know go out and, and hit a mid-range or do whatever he needs to do you know these are all things that he could do in, in, in Mike's offense Mike Hopkins offense because whether they're running their little weave or rather running their motion what have you, there's a lot of room for creativity there's a lot of room for guys to make differences one-on-one. Part of the reason why I think they've stagnated at times over the years is because they haven't had those guys that can really break the defense down one on one. But Fardoz, given his size and his ability and his athleticism, when he's matched up against bigger guys, he's been able to take them. And so that's the difference between a guy like him and maybe some of the other guys they've had in the past.
0: Yeah, I just think, you know, if they can get Emmett back in the fold and they can get Fardaz in the fold where you're going to have, you know, Two guys at the top of the zone, you know, and PJ Fuller at six four and Noah Williams at six five, or put Jamal Bay up there at the top of the zone instead of down at the bottom of the zone and a back. So you got six or even Badgema. Yeah, yeah I mean, look at the length that you would be able to have in front, and then that back line have it. Emmett Matthews back there, six eight, six eleven, and six eleven. And look at the length and the size of Washington. All of a sudden, it's, it's
1: finally back to the zone type of defense that that you would have expected, yeah. and the kind that he that he helped perfect at Syracuse. By using that length and recruiting that size, in order to really cause problems and you know disrupt things, you know uh, clog lanes, uh, get deflections and steals, like he was able to to really do by getting Matisse Thybulle to be his best version of himself defensively. Um, you know, could Noah Williams be that kind of guy? Could a PJ Fuller be that kind of guy? You know, we'll see. I mean, but the things are lining up where they're getting the length and the size that they need to really play that zone the way it needs to be played.
0: Well, the other thing I talk about, you know, and Hopkins has always been about, you know, tougher together and playing tough. And when you get a guy like uh, Frank Kepnang, he's a tough kid. Noah Williams, Noah's a tough kid. And you get a couple of guys like that and then throw, um, you know, Will Conroy and Quincy Pondexter in on the coaching staff, all of a sudden just the attitude – of this team has completely changed.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, well, obviously the proof will be in the pudding, but you have to think that at least on paper what you're talking about is right. Yeah. Wrap it up, Chris Fetters. Um, Just, again, uh, just getting ready for spring preview. A lot of portal stuff. I think a lot of people need to remember that guys can take their names out of the portal as, as, as quickly as they put them in. This is not a. This is not the Hotel California. You can leave anytime you want. So it's 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 going to be a very fluid situation. I know that this 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 is turning your brain into jelly, but it, it's just something we're going to have to follow, and we have to we have to kind of um, adapt and go with the flow. And and there may be a name or two that I think are going to surprise a few fans, and that's just going to be kind of the way it is. But. I really do hope that a lot of people come out for Saturday's spring preview. I think it's going to be fun. Hopefully, the weather will. I, I've heard maybe rain, but I don't know. I, who knows? It's just it's been so April's been kind of weird weather-wise, but yeah. hopefully, uh, the weather will hold up and and they'll get a good crowd. And um, but I do think overall. If you're a Washington fan, you've been following the reports that we put out and the, and the podcast and whatnot, I think you got to be pleased. I think they've installed the, the right kind of offense to move this thing forward, and the defense seems to have, have, have taken strides. We talked about Chuck Morrell admitting, at least personally, that he thinks they're further ahead than what he thought they'd be, which I thought was a bit surprising. But uh, a lot of
0: real positive things to look forward to going into the summer. Yeah, after spring ball, there's still a lot to go. I mean, we're going to have transfer portal coming, stuff coming up. we got the NFL draft, and then, uh, you know, the month of May, you're going to try to take a little bit of time off, and we've got... Not a little.
1: More than a little. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> you're going to take some time off, and then, um, you know, we've got all the post-spring uh, position reviews to do, and then May is also a big month in recruiting where coaches can go out on the road and do their evaluations. We've got camps in June, July is our slow month of the year. You're going to take some time off in May. I'm going to start playing a lot more golf because I still suck. So, uh, you know, getting that done. But, uh, you know, and possibly in July I may head down to Vegas and see some basketball recruiting stuff. But uh, we'll see how You're going that. Going to some shoe tournaments? Oh god, I hate Vegas. But anyways, we'll see what happens. So, uh, anyways, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Greinolds, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund, who is not here. Go dogs we